Mesdames et messieurs, et vous les enfants, nous vous invitons dans quelques instants à rejoindre le monde merveilleux de Disney Dreams. Señoras y señores, niños y niñas, dentro de unos minutos, os invitamos a participar a un viaje extraordinario por el mundo maravilloso de Disney Dreams. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, in just a few minutes, join us on an amazing journey into the dazzling world of Disney Dreams. Signori e signori, ragazze e ragazzi, vi aspettiamo tra pochi minuti per uno straordinario viaggio nel favoloso mondo di Disney Dreams. Grazie. Sehr geehrte Damen und Herren, liebe Kinder, entdecken Sie die wunderbare Welt von Disney Dreams. In wenigen Minuten geht's los. Dames en heren, jongens en meisjes, over een paar minuten nemen we jullie mee op een onvergetelijke reis door de betoverende wereld van Disney Dreams. Bedankt voor jullie aandacht. Si vous êtes coiffé de Disney Lightyear, plus que quelques instants avant de les voir prendre vie en lumière et en couleur au rythme du spectacle. For our guests with Disney Lightyear, see how they come alive and change color in sequence with the show. Et maintenant, laissez-vous emporter dans le monde fantastique des rêves. And now, Disney Dreams. Welcome to episode 7 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, all things magical and Disneyland Paris. I'm Andrew Williamson, and again, I'm joined by Simon West. Hello all. I thought you weren't going to say hello then. Oh, well, no, I, th I thought I'd be polite today, introduce myself. As always. Good evening. <laughs> Each Magical Disneyland Paris podcast will have a different focus, be it an attraction, restaurant or special element from the Disneyland Paris world. This episode, we are talking about the nighttime spectacular, which is known as Disney Dreams. We With also... an exclamation oh, mark. Don't forget the exclamation mark. We will also hand over to you, the listener, as usual, and discuss your opinions and views. So, Simon, again, we seem to be leaving this longer and longer each time. I think it's been a month again. Yeah, um, we're keeps going to... happening. This one's going to be good, though, because we've not, we've not really discussed a show before, and although this isn't quite a show, it's a spectacular, as Disney likes to call them. Uh, this is, I think, one of the best things that Disneyland Paris has to offer, and, of course, it's also one of the newest things. I would definitely agree with that. I think we better start with uh, the history. Now, we normally go back quite a way uh, into the Disney Walt Disney Imagineering vaults, as it were. Um, the history of this spectacular for Disneyland Paris specifically is from 2011. They started testing what was going to be known as Disney Dreams in spring 2011 uh, with some original animations. Um, in late 2011, some of the scenes that were tested were deleted and others were changed. I would be so amazed if I could uh, actually ever see some of this deleted footage. Now, obviously, the word deleted is there, so it's probably been deleted from history. But if they've kept any backups of scenes that they haven't used, I would be, um, like, I really love to watch some of those. Would be interesting. It'd be interesting to see whether they actually did start to make any original content in 2011 or whether it was just sort of clips that they found from from different pieces that they thought, right, let's try projecting this and just sort of see where we go with it. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm just guessing here, but I'm, I can 
from what I've heard in the past, I don't think it was the first time that Disney had played with projection mapping uh, for Disney Dreams in like in the world of Disney parks. No, I believe uh, they they projected onto a castle before uh, in Florida. I think they had a sort of nighttime show where they'd take uh, pictures that people had taken around the park during the day, and then they'd project them up onto the castle. Uh, I think. I don't know. I never saw it. Um, but apparently that's that's the first time where they tested it. But they'd never done a full-scale show where they'd use projection mapping like this. And obviously, you know, a couple bits of projection mapping on rides. I think maybe in California uh, they'd done projection mapping onto the facade of It's a Small World once. Ah, but again, yes. nothing on the scale of Disney Dreams. Um, also, back to Disneyland Paris, they also, um, when Tower of Terror was opened, they um, done some projection mapping, or, well, projection anyway, onto the side of Tower of Terror for the opening night of that. So they have been toying with the idea for quite a few years now. Yeah, they, they did project once onto Phantom Manor in a Halloween uh, yes. special, but I mean, that wasn't projection mapping, was it? They'd covered it in a big sheet and then projected onto it like it was an ordinary screen. So not quite the same again, not the fantastic technology that we saw from from the opening of Disney Dreams. No, but with all these um, magical technologies such as uh, projection mapping, it needs to start somewhere, and those kind of uh, events where you've got the big sheets over Phantom Manor and their projection onto there, it's got to start somewhere, and it's obviously that's, it's sprung a, an idea in someone's mind, and they've seen some technology somewhere else in the industry, and they've started playing with it. Definitely. Um, now, this is this is going to be a good podcast for me and you, because any listeners of our previous shows will know that you and I really rather like projection mapping, and every time we've got onto the, I wonder what's going to happen in the future of this attraction, we've always gone, I think they'll use projection mapping in it, and... Um, I mean, really, this this show is why we like projection mapping so much, because this show utilises the technology so well. It's shown us what can be done with it, and uh, me and you want to see it everywhere. We do, and some spoilers, the future section that we normally talk about on this podcast will probably include something about projection mapping. No, I'm I just, know, I'm just more guessing. projection mapping just in the show that's already projection mapping. I don't know how we're going to work it out, but we're going <laughs> to do it. Again, if you'd like to sponsor us, if you're a projection mapping company, then feel free. Followed, We're still waiting. I've followed some on Twitter, but nobody's followed us back yet. No, one, no one's responded? Oh, no, I shame. might have to send some emails. We could drop a few <laughs> names next time. Um, this is actually, Disney Dreams takes into account um, other features of other um, showcases and spectaculars uh, around the Walt Disney Parks around the world. Um, so we've got the World of Colour. Um, there's also, I can't remember the name. Fantasmic. Fantasmic. So they've got, also with an exclamation mark. Yeah, they must. They, they like them to make it look important. They've got the, the water screens, the water fountains, the lasers, the lights, the fireworks, um, and all that goes together. And I think it's the first time when Disney Dreams was released. It was the first time when all of those elements were put together. So all the diff, all the best bits of the individual shows around the world were put together into this one nighttime spectacular, as Disney like to advertise it as. So moving on, the creation of Disney Dreams, what what amazed me, we were discussing this before we pressed record on the podcast, before we started recording this, they were using, in Walt Disney Imagineering in LA, they were using an eight foot tall model to test the scenes and ideas on. So they scanned it in Paris, that have used precision laser engineering, I think from one fact I read it was pixel perfect, so each individual pixel was measured perfectly to the real castle full scale. And then they've created an eight-foot-tall scale model um, to test the scenes and ideas. Now, just imagine having access to that and being able to produce anything. 
would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I suppose one of the challenges with making Disney Dreams that they would have had is, of course, that the Disneyland Park is open 365 days a year. Unless you want to go there in the dead of night and start trying out these things, you're going to need to get a model castle. That's It's the only way that you could test these ideas because, you know, the castle is sort of in use most of the time. It definitely is, and the view from uh, Disneyland Hotel and a lot of the rooms in that hotel can see the, the castle. So anything that was going on there would have been released and seen straight away because there have been tests of the Christmas version. They've been leaked online before on Twitter. So they're going to have to do it. Well, they did do as much as they could possibly to hide it and keep it a secret for as long as possible. Also, during the creation of Disney Dreams, they had to move some trees because obviously the, the nice square-looking trees that are outside of Sleeping Beauty's castle, some of those would have created shadows and cast shadows onto the building itself. So having to do a bit of landscaping to make sure they had a picture, clear, perfect canvas. They also they do go on. also use the uh, little patch of grass where some of those trees were. They also project onto there, particularly during the brave scene, uh, which probably from this evening is, is now gone. So that's irrelevant. But nonetheless, <laughs> they do use that little patch of grass to project onto as well. So they're also sort of clearing a bit of canvas space for themselves, should we say. They also project onto some of the square trees as well at some points so they use some of the square trees that are sit on the sides as uh, a canvas for the uh, projection mapping with regards to fireworks apparently there are 58 firing locations on the castle and 18 behind and by the side of the castle as well these are some great statistics the amount of fire launchers and firework oh yeah rocket things it's great uh, it took water them... cannons big ones those it's great <laughs> it took them over a year and a half to develop it and the guy who was in charge of it was Stephen Davison. Again, I've been trying to contact him for a few uh, weeks now, and sadly we didn't get any return from him, but we hope to uh, hear from him in the future. Hopefully he'll be able to answer some of our and some of your questions. Um, the fountains that they use in the moat, they're the most versatile fountains that they could have found, apparently. They go up to uh, from one metre high to 40 metres high in the sky, which uh, I don't know about which you, is... Simon quite a big distance in the sky to shoot some water it certainly is i do believe that's actually taller than sleeping beauty's castle they can fire jets of water higher than the castle which i don't know if you've ever stood at the base of the castle and looked up it's quite tall that's impressive uh, they also have geyser fountain at the end of each moat and these also reach the height of sleeping beauty castle uh, when they explode with light and water. It says here to add drama to particular moments in the show. It's great that we can have them there by the Sleeping Beauty castle, but not by Phantom Manor where the geezer field is. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Just a little stab there, I'm sorry. And I'm, Couldn't uh, help myself. I heard on Twitter recently, or well, read on Twitter recently, that uh, they basically won't be fixing those because they passed the sell-by day completely. Ugh. Now, again, it kind of shows... Anyway, we've digressed again. We have, Oops. but I'm going to stay that way. But if if we can get these fountains to shoot 40 metres high, and this is brand new technology, like you say, why can't they just go to the manufacturer and say, look, we want some more of these bad boys. We're going to put them in at uh, Phantom Manor. But anyway, uh, there's actually four different categories of fountains that they use. So we've got the normal fountains, or the moat fountains. We've got the geyser fountains. There's ones called water whip fountains. Now these are the that ones. Exciting, these, they, yeah, they're described as the star ballerinas, are the most elegant and graceful featured in Disney Dreams. Um, they perform. Yeah, so, so these are the ones that sort of have jets of water, and they sort of 
move across the castle and they swing yeah, from, from left side to right. side. Yeah, they go up yeah. to about 100 feet, it says, in a vertical pattern. See, I think they should sort of turn them around and then every now and again just spray the audience with them, just for fun. On a summer's night, it's warm, just splash, there it is. That would actually... In the Hakuna Matata scene. That links in very well with something I'm going to mention later on, so try and remind me. sorry, spoilers. No, it's good, it's good. Well, I wasn't going to mention that, but it does link in with something at the front of the the crowd. Um, Water, whip, let me note that down. (laughs) Chaser fountains. These um, fast-acting fountains surround the geysers and uh, accent the uh, crescendos throughout the show. So yeah, four types of fountain. Uh, We've also got lasers. These are the most powerful latest lasers they could find, apparently, uh, to add an extra touch. Sometimes, my opinion is that, I don't know, lasers don't really work well with uh, water, fireworks, and the projection mapping. In my own opinion, I don't know, they, they feel a bit too crisp and too bright in some in some scenes, maybe. But I'm sure we can go on and talk about those later on. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. In the, in the final scene, part of the crescendo, there's there's a series of green lasers, and I've always just sort of wondered why they're there as well. I mean, I like lasers. I've got nothing against lasers. Um, but sometimes you sort of think, well, I don't know whether they're really adding anything. It's just a single beam of light. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's too precise for me. It needs to be more fluid. I don't know, more natural. Obviously... Lasers, like you say, that it's one single beam of light, straight beam of light. So it just, yeah, it just doesn't add. I don't know, it just doesn't work for me. But it's good. But I don't think I would miss it as much if they, if that effect wasn't there at all. Yeah, let's be honest though. Just powerful lasers sounds fun anyway, doesn't it? That's sort probably speaks that's to probably, the evil genius inside of you somewhere. <laughs> it's probably one of the reasons it's there, just so they can add that we've got lasers. We've, we've got, got lasers. Fireworks. It just adds to the excitement of it when you're advertising it. In, again, the creation of it, over 60,000 images were featured in Disney Dreams. Now, I don't know if this is individual static images or animations or whatever, what, but it just describes it as 60,000 images. New animation has been cre- uh, created I imagine that's well. going to be frames in an animation, right? If we're reaching 60,000... I would hope so, but then it depends how, many, depends how many frames per second it is working, uh, working it out in the last 20 minutes. That's a maths question. Oh, I can't do for, that, That's a maths question for somebody on the uh, on the Twitter sphere. There we are. That can be our challenge of the podcast. There you are. Work out what FPS the projection of Disney Dream yeah, runs t- at. Are we correct in thinking that sixty thousand images are the individual frames? Let, let us on, uh, let us know. Answers on a postcard. <laughs> Send it to magical, still no reward. Sorry, ma- magical DLP at Disneyland Paris, and I'll pick it up next time I'm there. <laughs> Michael Humphreys from the background artist from Lion King. He uh, created some new scenes and backgrounds. Uh, also, he was working on Notre Dame and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Animations they created were actually developed in multiple layers, so that when the story moves all over, they've got, they've got obviously the the water surfaces for the uh, canvas that the water jets are, are producing. They've also got the castle itself, and like I said before, the square trees. Um, there's so many different layers that have been animated and layered together to create the final scene. Um, well, there's, there's a lot to synchronise. You've got all of these layers, then you've got all the fountains, you've got the fire, you've got the fireworks, you've got the lasers, the music, of course. Then from, was it 2013, you've also got the light ears to be synchronised in as well. Exactly. It's been a long time doing this. And from 2014, I believe there's little sticks and wands and other little ears you can have that, are, that go with the show as well. No. Oh. Fancy. <laughs> no, I don't think anybody buys those anywhere, so 
we don't have to mention. Uh, no, I've never really seen any, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, it's a nice thought. I've, I think I remember saying last time I was there, or maybe the time before, I think I, I tweeted saying, um, I don't, I, there's no point in me buying the ears, because if I do, then I'm basically per, like paying for somebody else's show. Because I won't actually see any in front of me. So, so whoever's behind me will see some light ears, but I won't see them. But the problem is, Andrew, if everyone thought like you, no one would have a good time. That is, this is the problem. Yeah, that's probably what happens, actually. Everyone thinks the same as me, and nobody bought a pair of <laughs> Well, if the person in front of me hasn't got any, I'm not buying any, because the person behind me is going to enjoy mine. There's 15 fire cannons of various sizes. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love to just find an open field somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Just install even just four or five of these fire cannons and just set them off and see what, I, what damage I can do. It'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Apparently, uh, some of the fire cannons can reach up to 25 metres high. And the heat of them can definitely wow. reach over the crowd and get you, even when you're on the back of Main Street. The definitely. Heat... I mean, we've, we've just said we're not really into the lasers, but if they took out the fire effects, I would miss that. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're stood, you can feel that. I mean, I mean it's an intense heat when those fire effects go off. And you can feel the whole crowd go, ooh, which is always a lovely thing. Yeah, it, it, and it's, it's good if it's, if, it's, if it's been a bit of a wet day and you're a little bit damp, you know that when that scene comes on, which we'll discuss in more detail later on, when that scene comes on, the fire goes off, you know you're going to at least warm up a little bit and you know it's going to dry a little bit of the top layer of your clothing. So it's a win-win yeah. situation. i tell you what, what they could do is they could do away with Armageddon and then just take even more fire effects and put them on the castle. <laughs> I'd be happy with that. Uh, the, the fire effect from Armageddon probably only reaches about 30 centimetres from the floor. That's true. And I suppose then again, also if it's raining in the studio's park, where do you dry off if there's no Armageddon? <laughs> Is that what you use it for? Your own special drying attraction? Oh, no, it's a fantastic value attraction with, you know, its own innate brilliantness. Well, in a couple of Is episodes... Anyone Is anyone buying this? In a couple of episodes' time, we're going to test you on your knowledge and we're going to do an Armageddon podcast. It's going to be the least listened to podcast we, we will can, ever do. See if we can get people to listen to it and see if we can do it more than an hour long. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Uh, going on to the soundtrack, which for me, although you can't buy Disney soundtracks in Disneyland Paris anymore, I would definitely want to purchase the soundtrack for Disney Dreams. Just all of it together, bar a couple of scenes which we'll go on to later on, I believe. Um, it works so well. It was performed by over 100 musicians. I believe it was recorded in London at Abbey Road Studios, where the uh, famous Beatles albums were recorded. There's all sorts of voice talents. It includes the late Robin Williams, Mandy Moore, Zach Taylor, Pat Carroll, Keith David. Um, the score was also well. The score was arranged and conducted by the renowned composer Joel McNeely. Um, there's a load of information that Disneyland Paris provided for us. But I'm not going to go into the backstory of that. If you would like to find out more information about Joe McNeely, send us an email and we'll send you this document on. We say document, uh, we mean novel. Yeah, it would it would take a couple of pages at least to print it off. Apparently, <laughs> speaking of trees and speaking of pages and speaking of novels, uh, the score for the music uh, that for the soundtrack spans eight decades of classic Disney music. And apparently it would be it would weigh if you could weigh the score it would be 150 kilogram of score music which is quite a hefty chunk of music isn't it I'd love to know how they work that out 
150 kilograms. What they would do is they, they think, right, we're going to send this press release out to any gullible person that can read it. And we think we'll just whack a... <laughs> that, that sounds good. We'll just whack that number down. As if somebody's counted the amount of... 150 kilograms of music. Fred, what number should we pick for this kilograms of the music? Um, 150 will do, mate. There we go. Nobody's going to oh, say it's wrong. Good. Oh, we'll have that. Oh, yep. No one's going to say it's wrong. And then years later in a podcast, someone will be sat around going, hang on a minute, 150 kilograms of music? <laughs> it's happened. Now, we discussed uh, right at the start of this podcast that they created an eight-foot model to test the um, projections and stuff like that. That was initially for the planning stage because, again, this press release has some fascinating information about the programming. It took them over 500 hours on-site programming over seven weeks. Um, so 20 people were working on that from when the park closed until the park opened all the way through the night to get the show ready. I'm not sure what the windows are like, and I'm probably sure they must have turned the music down or maybe just wore headphones or didn't have any music while they were testing some of it. But I'm sure some people must have caught a glimpse of them testing it. Well, I think so. I mean, if you're going to start projecting onto the whole castle and then start launching 25-metre fire jets, uh, 40-metre water jets and some fireworks, I think people are going to notice. But what they did do, they created these little sort of uh, US Victorian huts uh, that look like closed shops uh, that just sit in Central Plaza, uh, which you may have seen. Uh, and they open them up at night time and they use them as control booths to plan the show. So there have been some of those up in uh, Central Plaza very recently because they've been working on the Frozen adaptations to Disney Dreams. So if you look around Central Plaza at the right times, you might see those. Now, we've covered most of the creation of it now. And if anything, we, we probably haven't mentioned projection mapping to enough at the moment so we'll probably discuss that in our next section where we're going to look at the original version of the 2012 uh, 20th anniversary edition of Disney Dreams Nighttime Spectacular so I think what we'll do is we'll just quickly because we want to spend most of our time discussing the current version up until about an hour's time as we record this it is the current version anyway we're going to just quickly go through some of the scenes one by one just mention them very briefly because we're going to go into them in detail apart from a couple which obviously have been removed so we'll then speak about those separately um so to start off with on the 2012 version similar to what we've got now we start off with the second star to the right we then goes into peter pan and wendy discussing something in french then in english on the water screens unless things go wrong with the wind and stuff like that then they'll cut the water screens off and they actually project it onto the castle which does affect the quality of it. I've seen a couple of videos on YouTube. It's not as good. But in some ways, in a positive note, some, because of the water screens themselves, it's sometimes hard to actually make out some of the action that's happening on there. So I can imagine there's pluses and minuses for the water not being used. He then Peter Pan then chases his shadow. There's a bit of a backstory into what's happening. The shadow goes all the way around. And then the first scene we go into, the first real scene, is Beauty and the Beast, which is Be Our Guest. Um, that's spoken in French. Um, the next scene is a very brief scene, uh, probably, I believe, just to kind of get Ratatouille in there because it was opening up in the, in the park the next year. They've got Ratatouille. Yeah, I couldn't quite understand why Ratatouille comes in and just sort of pops the bubble and then leaves again. Yeah. I, I don't know. Not much happens, um, but again, it's in French. It's nice to see Remy and the mousetrap, but I don't know. 
Yeah, they could, if they were going to include it, and if they were thinking ahead to advertising for the uh, Ratatouille attraction, then surely they could have picked a song from there, or even just added a little bit more to the story. Moving on. Well, I mean, there isn't, there isn't really songs from Ratatouille, though, is there? Well, the, there is, but they're very slow and French. I was watching That's it today. That's true. I mean, the French would hate that, wouldn't they? That's one of the a songs. A bit of accordion going on. <laughs> now, if you if we pre-warned me, I've got an accordion downstairs. I could have tried to play it. Oh, that would have been a brilliant podcast episode. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea for a future episode. We'll just play random... Oh, no. No, I didn't mean it. Do you know, no, no, do you know no. what I'm going to say? Do you know what I'm going to say? Oh, dear. I'm going to say we can either hum out different songs from different attractions in the park, or we can play them on a piano or a, an accordion, and people have to tweet in. Oh, that, but that wouldn't really work. It's not live. We could do a periscope. It's live, not live. Live periscope. People could, we could get some periscope action, or we could do a live broadcast on YouTube. Anyway, completely off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Aladdin's next. Friend Like Me in English. Then we go to Hunchback of Notre Dame. As we'll find out later on, it's probably my favourite scene. I don't know why, but I'll talk about it later. With Out There, again in French. Mary Poppins, one of the ones that's been removed from the current dreams, is in English, and that's Step in Time. Uh, we've also got Jungle Book, which has also been removed, which is in English, and it's I Want to Be Like You. Moving on to Tangled, I See the Light. I keep putting the language in here, but it's English again, so the English is starting to outweigh the French language. Uh, the Princess and the Frog, Dr. Facilier, Friends on the Other Side, is in English. Then it goes on to Captain Hook and TikTok Croc, do a little bit of French talking. The uh, Tentacles of Ursula from The Little Mermaid do some sweeping around and do some action on there. We have a fiery blast from the Dragon of Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. And then I've just put, I've, I've described it as the end bit. The end bit, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a finale, it's a crescendo. Or it's, you know, just the end bit. I'll go with the end bit. It's easier to write, isn't it? <laughs> None of this marketing talk. Like we say, we were saying there, there's only two scenes that have been removed or replaced, and that is the Mary Poppins one, which, watching it again today, I actually really enjoy it. Now, you said you didn't like all of it. Can you explain why you said that? Well, I, yeah, I, I hadn't seen this until uh, until we started researching this podcast. And the, the interesting thing is that those two, uh, they were coupled together in, in a sort of nice little group because there was a pause uh, before and after them. That's, that's why they changed those two, because it, it's so easy to swap them out. Um, and I think we're going to see that little sequence again swapped out uh, with the change for Frozen. So we have... Mary Poppins, and then that then rolls into Jungle Book. Mary Poppins is quite a... I, I, I thought it was okay. It's step in time. You see all the chimney sweeps come out and dance in the castle, um, and then sort of the castle turns into a nice pattern that flies around. And then we get the Jungle Book scene, which is the waterfall scene that we see in Hakuna Matata in the current edition. Um, I, I, I don't know, though. I just sort of find... the two of them not quite keeping to the same pace that the rest of the show does. Um, they're, they're just they're a bit slower. I liked Step in Time, but I didn't feel like it was really using the castle in a really fantastic and spectacular way. And then the Jungle Book one, it just felt too slow for my liking. It just wasn't, it wasn't grabbing me. It wasn't pulling me in with a lot of emphasis, which is a bit weird because I Want to Be Like You is a really jolly song, but it just didn't, just didn't have that kick to it. Whereas, of course, in the current version... Um, you know, we 
we open up with the circle of life after this little pause that you have at the start of that sequence that then kicks into circle of life which everyone goes oh wow and the sun rises up on the castle going into step in time there's not that same kick to it it's just not as powerful very true actually i don't know i, I think they used the castle quite well in step in time so they used all the different levels and the the, the chimney sweeps were dancing around or the silhouettes of the chimney sweeps were dancing around, dancing around the different levels and things were spinning around chimney pots stuff like that it was i think they used that okay the, the uh, projection mapping yeah. and the castle. I should say with the with the Jungle Book, I talked about it, it, it has the waterfall scene that we see in Hakuna Matata now. Now that is actually my favourite scene of the whole show. Um, but they did change it slightly how they've, how they've done the water effect. So the water sort of falls down different parts of the castle now and it does look a little bit better. Uh, but as I said, we'll, uh, we'll talk about what it's like currently in a minute. Yeah, so let's move on to what the uh, scenes are now. And um, to start off with, um, we see Tinkerbell flying around. There's, there's, there's the uh, pixie dust. And for some reason, I don't know why, but it makes sense because Disneyland, they've put the Mickey ears in there as well, probably just to remind you where you are. Um, the shadow of Tinkerbell as well looks so good in the window at the top of the castle. Um, and I think it does. It just shows that they are using all of the castle already, right from the get-go. It does. It's not just a flat surface that they can find. They'll project onto a window. Um, and the um, when they tested the, like the the new version, and when they were doing the premiere of that, the light is... Uh, we, did, we did slate them before, but they look so good when you see them all lit up. When they've got like the ocean of all the colour changing, it just adds to it as well. Um, so the uh, the main start of the this main starting point of Disney Dreams is this second star to the right. Now I remember watching a video of the making of this, and I can't remember the guy's name now. I think it was Steve, the main person. He was talking about how he wanted it to be the brightest thing in the sky, and he had to go out and find the brightest LEDs. And boy, is this LED bright! Oh, he really did it! My gosh, that star is—you can't miss it, crikey! Slight pause. And then, of course, we see the star then, sort of pan across all of the audience, and then the colours come across the castle. We're setting the scene here for a properly magical show. It's a nice entrance. Again, they've used lasers to do, like, the sweeping of the star. And I think, I don't know, would, would a more powerful, like, moving spotlight, would, it, would that have been better to do that same effect? Possibly might have been. You can see the beam of light, so I suppose if there's, if there's no smoke in the sky, you get to see the actual beams because it's so, like, intense. I don't know, it just seems doesn't it don't know, it just seems too clean and too crisp. It's a fair point, I quite like it. To be perfectly honest, I like how it reflects off any sort of uh, smoke that might be in the air. I like that. It gives a bit more of a magical feel, I think. I would I would uh, agree to disagree on that one. Um, so yeah, there's the sec <laughs> once we've got the second star from the right on there, we've got the two water screens, and we've got Peter Pan and Wendy speaking in French, then English, and back and forth. Um, it doesn't really seem to spoil the story that it's not in co one complete full language of English or one show of uh, French. You still get to know the story and what's happening. Um, again, when the water fountains yeah, well, are working... I mean, it's, a, it's a nice, simple story, isn't it? Yeah. When the water when the water screens are working fine, the the, the, um, the first time I've seen water fountains used in such a way, you can see all the animations and the work so well. And it's a very good idea of creating more space and more canvas to work from, isn't it? 
It really is. It also gives a little bit more depth as well. You know, it's not just all in the castle. It's not just all on the sides or on the turrets. You've got that bit that's just sort of brought forward as well. The other thing that's great about projecting onto water is that you get the sort of ripples in it. You know, it's not a clean projection. I don't know. Just looks a little bit more exciting. Now, the first real sensor of projection mapping that I, I think we get is when the um, Peter Pan shadow is rocketed right up into the, 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 uh, the star. And then all the bits, all the like pixels, all the magic kind of drops down, crashes off of the different turrets and the different parts of the castle. And then that's when you kind of think, wow, this is real projection mapping stuff. Yeah. You certainly do. It's good. It's nice to see it sort of all bouncing off the sides, as he said, of the turrets and of the different bits of roofs. That's projection mapping at its best. Now, my wife's favourite scene is actually right at the start of this Disney Dream show. Um, she absolutely adores Beauty and the Beast, so much so we've got it twice on Blu-ray. Uh, one, because we bought it in normal <laughs> Blu-ray, and then we bought it in 3D as well. We've actually got it on DVD somewhere, possibly, and video. Uh, that's how much she likes it. But yeah, be our guest. Again, if in French it still works because it's the same, like the same rhythm, the same lip music. It just seems to work. And if anything, I, st- I actually start singing it in French now when I listen to it. Um, so this is where we, <laughs> it does sound fantastic in French, doesn't it? It does. It's where we start to see as well the um, the fountains spraying around, the whipping of the fountains as well. Um, the bubbles, Mrs. Potts yeah, we see them flying sort of around, dancing from the left, the right bubbles. Yeah, but if focusing on just projection mapping. And not really doing much at the moment so we've just got the dresses and the mops or whatever they are and we've got um, Lumiere dancing around but it, it, at the moment they're just using it as a kind of flat surface aren't they? Yeah it's not really mapping it's projection definitely but it's not quite mapping until we get to a point where uh, as you can tell we are watching this as we go along when the, the, the cake or the um, yeah it is supposed to be a cake when they start piling up the cake under the castle that's where you can see the individual turrets and they've just emphasised and changed the colours of them. You've got the bottom base of the castle rotating, you've got the turrets rotating, then obviously all the fireworks are sparkling up there and casting wheels. It just makes it feel like the castle's alive. Definitely. These are, these are my favourite bits where we see the castle metamorphosized into something that it's not. And I mean, imagine having a cake that's the size of the Sleeping Beauty castle. That's everybody's dream. It has been a, it has been a cake before, hasn't it? It has. I, it looked a bit tacky, but, you know, it, they, it, they tried it. Was that the fifth anniversary, something like that? I think it was the fifth or the tenth, I can't remember fifth, now. tenth, one of them. Um, yeah, then, then uh, once we've done Beauty and the Beast, it goes on to the really brief Ratatouille scene. There's not much again. It's not really projection mapping. It's more just projected onto the castle. So we've got Remy sniffing around, bursting bubbles. That's basically all we can say for that one. Yeah, he, he talks, not that I know what he's saying because I don't speak French, but it happens. He's probably just saying, I'm going to burst this bubble now. Yeah, go and see my ride. <laughs> the card is not open yet. If you view it oh, in 2012. Um, go and see my ride in a year. Now, another one, another scene where I really actually enjoy the projection mapping and I love everything about it is the adding friend like me with the genie. Um, again, they have to turn the castle into neon lights, like it's um, an amusement park or somewhere in Las Vegas. You've got the turrets changing shape, you've got them spinning around, they're doing loops. The, the, oh, the, the project, this is projection mapping at its best. 
It really is, yeah. And then also, you know, just simple things like just changing the colour of everything on the castle. You know, changing the, the way that, you know, the, the different stones look on it and everything. You know, changing the material that it looks like it's made of. Just small things that suddenly change the castle that you've seen so many times over the day and then suddenly it's something new. Now, this, um, yeah, so as I, I'm, it's hard to describe it again. Like, we've done, this, we've done the same thing for it to small world last time. But again, this is a really good part where the rockets, they're lighting up the fireworks, and the fireworks are shooting up, and from seamlessly from the projection map inside straight into real life fireworks, you can't tell the difference. So, you go from projection map fireworks shooting off the top of the castle, and the fireworks bounce out as if it was the actual explosion from the firework. And that's just. That's fireworks and projection mapping working at its best together. Now, here's a question for you. At the end of the scene uh, with the genie, we then get the nice little sort of slower, pausey bit where uh, we get a nice sort of gag from Robin Williams. Do you like that? Do you like it where it slows down like this, where you get a sort of a moment of humour? Or do you think that's sort of getting in the way of uh, a bit more of a powerful, spectacular show? Personally, I think it gets in the way. Now, if I break down like every scene completely individually and forget about how it links to the story and links to each other, I don't think I can fault any of the scenes really. But like, expect like musical scenes. But like you say, when it slows down and it goes into a magic carpet ride, it slowly goes into this. Yeah, I think it, as a whole, I don't think though they they work. Now, I mentioned before that the Hunchback of Notre Dame was what my favourite scene. Now, I've never before I've seen Disney Dreams, I've never watched the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I've heard the song before, but it's just when he's like swinging off the different turrets and different parts of the castles. And I don't know, just the music and the way the fireworks like spread out behind the castle when he's getting reaching the notes and stuff like that. I don't know, it just sends a shiver down my spine. And it's like it does. It's a really s- go ahead. Sorry, it's it's really simple, but it's just like he's actually really there. Whereas the other ones, you can kind of say, right, it's really busy and it's really interesting. It looks realistic. But this, for some reason, I don't know, it just looks really realistic to me. Yeah, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not making the castle busy. There's not a lot going on. But, you know, it's a powerful song. It's not a particularly fast, pacey song, but it is very powerful. And as you say, the castle's not doing anything. It's just sat there looking like like Notre Dame. You've got big fireworks going off in the background, but that's it. It's it's a slower scene, but it's still incredibly powerful. Yeah, and for me, that, like I said, that is my favourite scene, even though I'm not really a fan of the Hunchback of Notre Dame film. Um, it's just, like I say, it all works together and the power, like even though it is slow, like you say, the power of it works really, really well. Now, this is the new it's scene. It's still capturing you. It is, definitely. This is the new scene for the 2013 onwards version of Disney Dreams. Um, starts off with the Circle yeah, of Life. That's, that's a fantastic start, isn't it? Yeah, with the opening to the Circle of Life. We see the sun rising up and it's one of those moments where everyone everyone knows that really powerful opening to the Lion King and you can feel the whole audience go ah it's a great moment I love it and then from the simple castle that we had for Notre Dame to a really busy one for the Lion King but again it's, it's a different kind of busy it works the, there's um, mm. the, all the animals are stacking lots themselves. of patterns geometric things animals coming across you've got fountains blasting in the foreground You've got uh, searchlights going off in the rear. I'm noticing watching this as well, which I've not noticed before. That's the first time I've seen them as well. Very, very busy, as you say. Um, and they've used perspective to make it look like 
the castle's, well, there's like a walkway of animals, so it's not just the flat surface of the castle. They're not even using the actual turrets or making it, like, emphasising the shapes of those. They're just making it look like it's a 3D image or picture coming towards you. Um, again, quite simple. Um, but I, I like this bit when they start stacking up the animals and they keep going up and up and up like you see in the film. And then you, uh, all of a sudden, you see Peter Pan's shadow instead of uh, Simba. Yeah, of course, they've got to have that continuity of Peter Pan's shadow. Uh, and then at the end of uh, Circle of Life, we then go into what is, as I've said earlier, my favourite scene, Hakuna Matata. I love uh, the song, but more importantly, I love what they do with the castle here. They turn the whole thing into this absolutely gorgeous waterfall. And this, for me, I think is a real highlight of projection mapping because you've got all the turrets brimming with water, overflowing with water. And then as the scene comes to the end, this is perhaps actually my favourite bit. It's not just the water disappears, but the water drains down from the top and it all finishes draining down. You see every last drop drip over a yeah. turret or a rooftop, something like that. It's just so well done. It's like you could follow the start of the... You could follow the water from the top of the roof of the castle and follow the top, it all the way, all the way down. down to the you bottom. Could, you, could end, you could follow it all the way down. Um, it's a scene as well. Yeah, that perfectly you, met. You don't appreciate that scene until you actually watch it again on video because when you're there, it's amazing and you do appreciate it. But obviously, when you watch it again and you can watch it over and over again, you can see the detail that's been put into it and the fact that it does go around every nook and cranny of the castle. Now, we're talking over the brave scene here. That maybe says something a little bit. But again, if we take the brave scene uh, and the song um, Touch the Sky as a separate scene, I actually really like it but I just don't feel it works for the story as a whole. Um, and Brave as well is not the most popular of Pixar um, Disney films. Um, again, the technology used no, is great. It's... The music's fine. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with it, really. It's just, it just doesn't seem to work with the flow of the overall show. Yeah, I think with the opening of the scene as well, you know, we don't really see much projection mapping going on. They use the castle as if it's just sort of a flat canvas. So you know how much I love projection mapping. I'm not so keen on, on that bit. As you say, though, Brave, it's, you know, it's not really my favourite Pixar film. I like the music, it's very good, but I don't know, maybe because I don't have that connection to the film properly, it just it doesn't grab me. But the other thing that you have in this Brave scene is you have these sort of... It's almost like they've gone for a sort of humour element with a lot of it. So, say, you know, you've got the bagpipes, you've got the funny uh, princes that obviously compete for Meredith's hand in the film, and then at the end of it you've got the witches... Uh, the witch coming out, and then this strange slow bit at the end where the bear roars at Merida yeah. and then Merida roars back at it. And you sort of, you're stood in the audience and you think, is this a moment where I laugh? <laughs> sort of some people chuckle a bit, but it's it's a bit awkward. Now, I found it awkward the first time I seen um, that scene because I didn't watch Brave. I'd never seen Brave until afterwards. And I watched it, I was like... It's so, it was just mean, a Scottish ginger yeah. girl roaring at a bear then. Obviously, I'd seen the character Merida going around, and I've seen bits of it, but I didn't. I have no idea what the bear was for. So why would she roar at the bear at the end? Not, and we don't want to spoil it, but until I watched it again afterwards, I wrote, oh, that makes a little bit more sense. But again, it still, I don't know, just lacks something for me. It hasn't got the umph. Um, one scene that has... And again, it's not a, a fast one. It's a bit of a slow one, really, as well. I see the light, the tangled scene. Um, a really good use of yeah, projection. I, I love the opening to this because we we go from uh, the brave scene and then we see vines creep up the castle and then we see the uh, the tower from Tangled crawl up and rise up uh, across Sleeping Beauty's main turret. 
and suddenly we've not got our Sleeping Beauty castle anymore, we've got the tower from Tangled and it just looks fantastic. It does. We've got the uh, Chinese lanterns as well floating around and the nice big sparkly fireworks and with the uh, light ears it, this scene does look really really good. Again it's not a much once it gets going it's not the most busiest of scenes and you actually are uh, drawn to attend your sight is drawn to the middle of the, or the doorway where they project the dancing characters from Belle, Beauty and the Beast and we've got um, I think it's Sleeping Beauty or I think it's Sleeping Beauty who's dancing as well so it kind of it's focusing your attention on that part rather than the rest of the castle which again it's a good use of it because you don't want to overpower it every single scene yeah, so I mean, if we liken this to your average film, this is the sort of the bit uh, two thirds of the, the way through before you get into the end where you've got sort of the really emotional bit with the love interest. You've got, you know, the reason why uh, the hero is doing whatever they're doing. Um, this is that bit. This is the sort of the slow bit before the crescendo at the end. And it's the really nice, touching, emotional, sort of sappy, romantic bit. But it's fantastically done. Blah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it, again, I do like it. I love Tangled, the film, and it works really, really well. It's For some reason, even though that's a slower one, it still works with the story. Like you say, it's part of a film, whereas the other slower ones, or the, the uh, Mary Poppins, the um, Jungle Book one that they took out, it didn't really work. It was just there for the being there sake. It didn't have much to say with the story. Um it changes, it changes tune a bit, doesn't it, after the love interest. We've got the uh, Peter Pan shadow making different shadow puppet images on the side of the castle and then all of a sudden things start to whirl around and we start to get the evil side because obviously we have the we good do. side of Disney films and always the evil side and this, I keep saying this is my favourite bit I keep saying everything's my favourite bit I really love this uh, the scene from the Princess and the Frog Do- Dr. Facilia it is, it is fantastic, and we get all these colours changed. We've not got these bright fireworks in the background anymore. We've just got these dark colours, these you know these deep purples, these reds, these greens creeping onto the castle, and suddenly it's, yeah, it's a lot more mysterious. The tone has changed considerably. And then, of course, the fantastic steampunk cogs uh, that the castle is transformed into. The eyes, Brilliant. The eyes it's got such a different the, feel to it. The eyes on the water screens as well are so good. Just the fact that like they're looking at you and it's like they're actually floating out over the castle uh, and into your face. But um, the most impressive part mm. we've already mentioned um, is the actual fire, the, the fire cannons that shoots up the fire into the air um, and burns your eyebrows off. I don't know, it just feels evil. It feels like you're in some kind of evil underworld just when the fires are going off. Um, and I like the fact as well, like any mm. show, you like any show, you don't show everything that you've got in the first scene. So what you've done is they've got the fireworks, got the lasers, it slowly builds up, then it gets to this scene and they just chuck all the fire at you. And you're like, wow, I didn't expect that. Yeah, each each scene has a different sort of bit that they're showcasing. And of course, in the grand finale, as we will get to in a minute, I'm sure they bring that all together. But first off, we've got to have the bit where uh, Captain Hook comes in. And I like this because obviously uh, the hero of the story is Peter Pan of Peter Pan's Shadow. So it's nice that sort of the lead villain I suppose of the story is Captain Hook and he starts to bring it all to a close again and we've got this brilliant uh, villain scene with Ursula first with the tentacles and then Maleficent breathing fire out over the castle 
of course, over the Tanya du Dragon, where Maleficent the Dragon is sleeping. I didn't think you spoke French. No, I just, I tried it then. Thought I'd see what happened. Sounded quite good to me. Oh, shut you. So yeah, then everything kind of, once all the um, evil's been dispersed, it all kind of sucks back up into the uh, star. And then an almighty explosion happens. We've got fireworks, we've got sparkles, we've got water. Everything just kind of goes off. Um, if you've got a weak heart, that's the moment where you'll jump and think, oh, dear me. That's, that's the, one of the big parts towards the end. Um, then it kind of wraps up the story where we've got Peter Pan, Wendy, telling us a little bit more about what happens at the end of the story. Um, first time I've noticed... And now everyone can fly. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. First time I've noticed, though, I can actually see the uh, projectors, the projectors at the foot of the castle project... So the, the, um, the water screens are rear projected. They are, they're projected from castle side yeah, rather than so everything exactly else, which first is time projected uh, from Main Street. First time I've seen them. Um, so yeah, this should be, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly, everything's flying at us. We've got different sets of fireworks shooting off in the sky. We've got characters flying towards us from the castle. Reminder of everything that we've seen as well sort of so far. There's a lot of the characters that we've visited over the course of Disney Dreams coming at us. And then some green lasers in the background there we like go, we mentioned yeah. earlier. Fire them out, get them lasers out. Powerful, powerful lasers. Um, yeah, this is where they kind of think we haven't got a colour scheme for this section. We'll just whack every single colour we can find. We've got loads we'll of colour left. Every colour we can think of. And then just as a little we'll final... Have a rainbow, then we'll have more colours than we can find in a rainbow. Yep. Then we'll have fireworks, we'll have fire, we'll have water jets. We'll start spinning the castle around with the projection mapping. Peter Pan's shadow says goodbye, and then everything goes off. What a massive explosion. It's like the fireworks factory that was supplying them was kind of just went off in one big go. Which, funnily enough, happened somewhere in England a few years ago now. I remember seeing in the news. I think it did. Um, like an almighty, I think there was even a video. It was just basically carnage. And that was kind of what happened with uh, Disney Dreams. Um, another favourite little element from this, the final scene there is when it said Peter Pan lift, sorry, Peter Pan Shadow lifts up the castle as if it's made out of fabric or it's made out of like a curtain. And again, it's just the, the amount of effort that must have went into that part and that scene. It looks so simple, but it probably took them weeks to get that perfect because they would have had to have measured every single nook and cranny. They've had to get every turret so that when they pulled it up, it looked like that part was moving. How's that going to fold? How's it going to act like a material? It must have taken a long yeah. time to perfect that. Oh, it's a considerable effort, but you know what? It's worth it. It definitely is, because it's um, really impressive. Um, like we said, um, tang uh, dis Tangled. Disney Dreams is what got me into projection mapping, really, for the first time. I seen it, I was like, wow, what? how are they making it look so realistic? And looking at videos of them um, like 3D modelling the actual castle, getting pictures and laser-guided pixel perfect measurements of it when they put it together it's just an amazing show um, and if anybody hasn't seen Disney Dreams before because uh, if you go in the summer months when it's on during the summer season it's normally on about half 10, 11 o'clock by the time you actually get to watch it so if you've got any small children and you've missed it you need to definitely see this show it's one that you can't miss 
Yeah, I mean, I can remember uh, when I was there in 2013, I never managed to catch the 2012 edition, um, but I was there with my family. Uh, we've been to, you know, theme parks across Europe. We've been to the two Disney parks, uh, well, the two Disney resorts in America as well. We're used to uh, all the Disney spectaculars that they put on, but I can remember walking around the park. I remember going into Disneyland Park on the day that we arrived, um, and there's all these things up about Disney dreams. And we thought, well, you know, well, well, what are they going on about here? We've seen fireworks shows, you know, we've we've seen Fantasmic and all the other ones. You know, what's what's going to be really different about this one? Um, but of course, Disney dreams is one of those things that actually it's only when you see that first scene, uh, you see it all come together that you realize quite how much of a special spectacular it really is. You know, this isn't just some projection show. This isn't just some fireworks show. This isn't just a musical that's going on in Main Street. This is all of it rolled into one in the most perfect package that you could imagine. And what a way to end a day as well. How fantastic. Oh, it's definitely a feel-good show. You, you, when it does finish, you're actually sad that it has finished because you think, oh, I'm on such a high now, what can I do? Um, then you've got to walk It does. It's a, it's a 20-minute show. Uh, and yet it really doesn't feel like it you know it, it sort of it flies by in five minutes and you're you're definitely left wanting more before of course you then have to fight your way down main street with uh, thousands of other people who have also watched disney dreams um i've already mentioned that if there's a if it's windy out there the uh, peter pan and wendy speaking on the bits on the side on the water projection water screens they're, they're actually projected on the castle um also we mentioned about the flames um currently i think it was only last week or so I read on Twitter that somebody um, had actually witnessed Disney Dreams without the flames going off. Now, for me, obviously it still would be spectacular, but if there was no flames for the uh, Princess and the Frog scene, then that would totally spoil it for me. It just wouldn't feel the same. it wouldn't be quite the same. It would be, I suppose it would be a bit like going on Big Thunder Mountain, but then you're going up the first chain lift hill and you can't hear anything. It's just like silent in that first cave. You know, there'd be... There'd be something missing that makes it really special. I suppose because we've seen it many times on video and in the in the flesh as well, and we know it's been there, obviously when you take something so big out, it does affect it. But if it's your first time viewing it and you weren't expecting yeah, you, it anyway. If you don't know, you don't know any different. And I mean, the other thing about the flames also, you know, it's it's not the visual uh, sort of, you know, it's not that they glow brightly or whatever, it's it's the warmth, it's the actual feeling of them, so I mean you could watch it as many times as you like uh, and think maybe, oh well, you know you don't need these flames, but actually you need to be stood there in Central Plaza, down Main Street, and then feel that really hot heat hit everyone in the audience that's, you know, that's, that's why the flame effects are so important um, Selfie sticks are something that keep popping up in Disney Park Twitter feeds at the moment um, I have started to notice on my last visit in March there were quite a few selfie sticks uh, people holding them in the air trying to get good shots over people's shoulders and also people taking selfies of themselves watching Disney Dreams um, I have been noticed But if you're, if you're go- taking a selfie of yourself watching Disney Dreams then you have to be facing away from the castle to do that Yeah In which case you're not watching Disney Dreams so for some people, getting the perfect selfies is better than actually what you're supposed to be there for in the first place. Type, I don't understand these type people. Just, are... just to give this a little bit of background, um, in the past month since we did the last podcast, uh, Walt Disney World has started putting up in their parks uh, signs that say no selfie sticks. 
certainly that's on attractions like Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain. Uh, I don't know whether that extends to shows as well, I'm not sure, but uh, definitely there is a movement to try and get rid of selfie sticks because they're just so annoying. The other thing is people recording on iPads. Yes. A phone I can sort of deal with. I mean, granted, they're getting six inch now, but, you know, an iPad, what? No inch? They're huge. So yeah. crazy, you know, they just, well, if you hold up an iPad, you're going to be blocking at least three people's views behind you. Oh, definitely. Now, I'm, I'm not guilty of using an iPad, but I have filmed some of the scenes before. Uh, because I like photography, I like video, and obviously collecting stuff for the Magical DLP website, I had to go. But then I thought, wait a minute, I'm looking at the show through a lens or through the screen. There's no point in me actually being here, because I could download this video a hundred times on YouTube, probably in better quality, better sound. And I just kind of thought, what's the point? And it, so it stopped me now. Even when I was there in March, um, we watched Disney Dreams. Didn't have my camera out once. Even on some... At first, I didn't take many pictures at all because I was only there for a couple of days. And it kind of... I had a better trip because of it. Because I, I, I seem to live my life through a screen. Um, now, if I'm there for a purpose and I need to take a camera, then that's a different matter. But for this, I would definitely recommend put your phones away shut those selfie sticks down and chuck them over the a fence somewhere because you don't want them anymore. Don't use them when you're watching Disney Dreams. Even if you don't care about anybody else and you're being selfish, you will enjoy the show a lot better. There we are, selfish sticks, that's what they are. Selfish sticks, Ooh. oh yeah. Hashtag selfish stick. Let's, let's get this trending. That's Come on everyone. Whole Disneyland Paris fan community, hashtag selfish sticks. Bang. They, they could actually also be known as cigarettes as well. Selfish sticks. Because we hate oh. those in queues, don't we? And, uh, oh, they're a pain. I haven't came across it as much at Disney Dreams. I don't know why. Maybe it's because people are so close together they don't feel or they, they don't feel confident enough to smoke. And it probably it, people it would be have... a bit much to, to light up when you've got that many people. Um, while we're on that, actually, do you have any top tips of where to stand for watching Disney Dreams? Um, I've been quite boring. I know some people say that like, if you stand on the side... Um, Ooh, which side is it? Near the castle stage, uh, or the Disney, the, sorry, the Discovery Land side. If you stand that side, people say it's a good view. Uh, other people say it's on the side near Frontierland. Uh, I've seen some videos of it from like the actual side, right from the like in front of uh, no, Fantasyland. But I always stand in um, Central Plaza, and it's always against the railing. A couple of times I've stood near the actual um, show box, show building as well which is handily decorated as some kind of garden maintenance building. Um, and normally, in the past few times, I've stood there so that I've got a perfect view of the castle. Nobody can stand behind me, so if I want to, I can kind of kneel up or kind of push myself up on the railings. What about you? Where, did, where have you been when you viewed it? Well, it's interesting that you uh, you said at the start, because uh, I'm I'm really not one for turning up to anything hours beforehand or even half an hour beforehand <laughs> to try and get a good seat. I want to turn up five minutes before it starts and get somewhere good uh, to stand, which, of course, doesn't tend to work with parades and it definitely doesn't work with these things either. But I tend to somehow manage to pull something off. Um, my favourite side for that is Discoveryland side. It's quite open yeah. where you go around that side. A lot of people stand around sort of the Plaza Garden area, but if you go sort of further over to the right, I think a bit more towards uh, Discoveryland. Um, I know I've heard people talking about going near the uh, the castle stage as well. Yeah, that's, that's a good area. Um, don't be put off by the fact that you're sort of looking at it from the side a little bit. 
it's projection mapped so well, you won't notice anything different. It looks fantastic. You don't feel like you're looking at it from the side at all. It's well, that's brilliant. the thing, yeah. It's it's wrapped around the castle, isn't it? And um, the projectors from both sides of Main Street, from the top of the buildings. Um, there's lights all the way around it, and the fireworks everywhere. So, like you say, you're not going to spoil the effect by going off the side. Uh, yeah, you're certainly not missing anything out. I mean, I would personally prefer that, definitely, than being sort of... 400 meters up Main Street because I mean Main Street is very wide in the daytime but suddenly when you've got all these people that want a head-on view of Disney Dreams it gets clogged a oh, long yeah. way back so if I've you're ne- turning up late then uh, you're going to be a long way back in Main Street I've never done um, it on Main Street so definitely pick, pick a side rather than trying to go further back it's, um, I think it's better to be closer and to a side than further away but looking at it head-on I always personally. go in front of the control booth because Obviously, I don't know if I mentioned it before, I probably have, doing lights and sound at theatres, um, in the local theatre and in the national theatre a couple of times. It's When you're setting up the show, sound-wise and like light-wise and view-wise, the uh, person who's setting it up, the show director, always has the best view. So, obviously, they're setting it Obviously, the Disney Dreams are setting it up, and the Imagineers are setting it up, so it's perfect wherever you view it from. But it's just something in my head that says, right, the best view, the best sound for this show will be right in front of the people who are controlling it, which is why I always stand in front of the booth. It's inevitable, really, isn't it? Because if you're sat there controlling something and you're trying to make it to a proper sort of perfect Disney standard, then you're you're only really capable of making it perfect for where exactly you are sat. You know, you can't make it perfect for somewhere that you're not sat because you're not there to find out whether it's perfect. You can sort of set it going and go and stand over there, maybe, and I would imagine they would have... uh, made people go and stand around all the different locations when they were in the final stages of testing it to make sure that it did work from all the different angles but nonetheless you know if they're programming it from one location which we know they did um that's that's it that's going to be the best so another top tip from magical dlp always stand by the control booth at a concert at a show because you'll have the perfect sound and the perfect vision unless of course sometimes at a massive festival the um the sound and lighting box is so far away that you probably won't be able to see without putting um, binoculars. Get some binoculars. Yeah. But anyway, we're moving off topic yet again. Um, <laughs> next on the list is VIP slash Fast Pass. Now, I don't know if you've heard this. Um, it's been a while ago now since I did hear it. But um, there were talks that people were going to be offered the chance to pay to upgrade for VIP access or VIP Fast Pass areas at the front. Oh, it's... it's happened hasn't it i think it, it probably I thought, already I has, thought yeah. that was a i believe that was an official announcement um so there's a little roped off area right at the front by the uh castle bridge uh and there are some seats provided i think if you pay for it you also get a meal first hand and then um like some champagne or something or other it's very expensive uh, and of course it limits the amount of space there is for people who haven't paid extra to get this service uh, so when it was announced, I could vividly remember Twitter going a bit mental. People weren't happy. They definitely weren't. Well, I mean, um, the, the the argument that they had is that Walt Disney always said that you know there is no there is no class or anything once you're in Disneyland. You you go in, you go through the turnstiles, and then you are in a a magical world where money and whatever shouldn't matter. But of course, if people are paying to get a better experience than you, I don't know. That's it's a bit cheeky. Um, not that. It's ever got in my way, though, to be perfectly honest. So I'm not going to moan about it too much. And if magic, if uh, 
Disneyland Paris can make a quick extra buck, then fair play. <laughs> um, one thing, actually, that if they do pay extra to get to the front, yes, they'll have a nice meal. Yes, they'll have a really nice roped-off seated area to view Disney Dreams. But when the flames are going off, then they're definitely going to lose some hair. I think so. The other thing is, I do believe they actually get provided uh, with light ears, which is quite funny because actually that means that they are doing a service for the rest of us. They so, are probably the only people in the entire Paris region that has these light ears. So they definitely they are paying for, for it. Privilege. They're paying for our show, aren't they, really? They are, yes. A lot of money. They probably have, <laughs> they probably have to um, pay for this fast pass as well or charge people for this fast pass or VIP area so they can actually pay the um, the cost of the fuel for the flames and the fireworks they must go into the thousands for sure I tried searching for a precise number but I couldn't find a figure anywhere other than um, that it, Disney Dreams in 2012 won an award for the best um, what was it best, best spectacular of or best show that was over one million and one pounds to put in production so I don't know if that's for one I don't know if it, it won't be a million pound for sure but obviously that would have might have been in the year's worth or something, I'm not sure, or the production stage. But it's definitely going to cost Disneyland Paris quite a lot of money. I think so. I mean, luckily for them, there's possibly less fireworks, actually, than you'd have in a traditional fireworks show. Projection mapping uses energy, but, you know, it's, it's not actually that costly. The fire will be fairly expensive. But I don't know, I, I would think actually it could be cheaper sort of unit cost of show by show uh, than doing a sort of traditional 15 minute fireworks show where all you have is fireworks yeah never thought about it like that yeah it makes sense yeah um, another quote another point I've put on our list here was standing or seated now at the moment everyone stands unless they can find a railing or but I'm sure what I've seen somewhere was it in Tokyo can't remember now there's been some nighttime show somewhere where everyone was just sat down Everyone was sat down looking at the castle, and I was like, wow, what is going on here? If this was Disneyland Paris, people would be standing, pushing, trying to get the best view. Um, I've had it before where we've been standing there, me and my wife. Um, I was behind my wife, she was in front, and for some, I don't know how it happened. We looked at each other about 20 minutes after, the, like, well, towards the end of the show, and then there was this other couple in between us, and I had no idea when it happened. <laughs> That's how like people just want to move around and get the best view. I was looking at the show, completely ignoring what else was going on. They're not, they've just kind of managed to push themselves in, and we were separated. Obviously, we pushed, <laughs> we pushed our way back in next to each other. But I can just imagine, now we took Noah um, in May last year to see it, and we were in his pram. And again, that's one reason why we stood near the railings. And yeah, they're not like really tall railings, so we could kind of stand on the other side or go on my shoulders, and it wouldn't block anybody else's view because although we've got these selfish sticks, um, I wasn't being selfish by putting him on my shoulders near the front. I was making sure there was nobody behind me. Um, and it stopped people from pushing in as well. But yeah, I've seen so many arguments start and must have been so many nearly fights, people fighting or over, you've stood on my toe or you've knocked my camera or stuff like that because it does get really crowded. So would some kind of seating system, I don't know how that would work. Obviously, there wouldn't be actual seats put some kind of if everybody know, starts I mean, you, sitting from the front and say right can everyone stay seated at the front I don't know you see sort of the I mean you see people turn up to see Disney Dreams what like two hours before it actually starts um, and you'll see these people turn up at Central Plaza and they'll sort of they will sit down um, 
you could start off the whole show with the entire audience of people, all the way down Main Street, all the way to the sides. Everyone could be sat down. One person stands up, everyone's going to have to stand up. <laughs> that is true. It's, you know, it's, it would be sort of nice, I suppose, to have everyone sat down, but then equally, it rains a lot in Paris. Uh, the ground's probably going to be wet, and God knows what will be on that floor after <laughs> you know each day of use. So maybe, maybe it's for the best that we're stood up. But then I would say that I'm six foot, so yeah. I have an advantage. Well, I'm five foot eleven. Depends who's asking me. If the doctor's asking me, it's five foot eleven. If anyone else asks me, I'll say six foot. So oh, yeah, yeah, six we, foot, yeah, we could. If we stand up, it's fine. I can see over everybody's head. Um, the last, uh, <laughs> the last highlighted bit I wanted to mention was the crush on the way out. Once Disney Dreams is finished and they're playing the nice, soothing music, there's always a crush. Now, do you, or when you've been, do you want to get out first? to try and rush past it and avoid the crush that way or do you go out slowly and dawdle along just stand around and wait for the people who are for some reason everybody just seems to move all at once um oh no i'm i'm definitely one of the latter um as i said i don't like being down main street if i'm gonna watch it i want to be up by the castle off at one of the sides um as i said discovery land side so generally i'll sort of think well maybe i can make my way for discovery arcade uh, which, of course, those two arcades on either side of Main Street, they exist for this very purpose, not specifically for Disney Dreams, but they are there for guest flow at times when Main Street is busy. Um, but no, I'll, I'd much prefer to just sort of mill around a bit, because as you say, you know, it finishes, and then everyone goes, right, let's leg it out of the park. So I, you, you wait 15 minutes, things, things calm down a little bit, and then also, you know, all the people that are, you know, pushing and in a hurry, they've gone, so you've just got to, you know, a lot of people are still there, but... They're all the people that are just sort of going to dawdle their way out. So it's, yeah, I, I prefer to stand and wait. Cause, yeah. You know, from, from that end of the park, you're never going to make it out quickly anyway. If you do you're wanna... in there till midnight. Just deal with it. <laughs> if you do want to make it out quickly, though, like you say, the arcades, Liberty Arcade, Discovery Arcade, surprisingly, are, they're still busier than normal, but you can actually walk and you have space and you're not kind of picked up with the crowd and just moved on automatically. So it's still surprising how many people still don't really know about the arcades. Because I've heard people talking before or I've talked to students and I've said, oh, did you go down the arcades? And they didn't even know it existed. No, I mean, they're, they're a fantastic thing. Discovery Arcade's one of my favourite places in the entire park. I absolutely adore it. Um, but yes, they're quite handy when you when you're trying to get out and avoid Main Street. Now, that works in the daytime as well, if there's a parade does, or something yeah. going on. That's if you can get past the people blocking the entrances. They probably don't even know what they're blocking. No. Um, like if um, in the springtime when Minnie Mouse is uh, down in the corner um, before you go down Main Street, she's in the corner there near her house uh, posing for photographs. Um, the queue comes around out of there and blocks the whole of Liberty Arcade entrance. And you've got cast, you've got cast members trying to usher people around, and you've got people they're probably looking and thinking, well, there's nothing down there, and then we're saying, no, there is. I'm going to walk down there. So yeah, there's a, there's certain parts <laughs> where you they should maybe manage them a little bit better, but that's nothing to do. with One Disney of these Dreams. days, Disneyland Paris will work out that these meet and greets are really popular, and that they need to work out a better way of doing it, or they just need to set somewhere up with a massive queuing system the size <laughs> of Thunder Mountain. It's well, just, they've just got to bite the bullet and do it. I wouldn't want a queue in that system, I tell you. <laughs> um, it's it's got to happen, though. Yeah. One of these days. There is also a Christmas version of Disney Dreams. Now, I've never been at Christmas before, um, although my wife tells me that tomorrow afternoon we are booking 
a trip uh, just a few days before Christmas for this year, if there's any space left. Aww. Um, so, uh, congratulations. Probably... Oh, thank you. Congratulations on my possible Disney trip. Um, so we'll probably be um, experiencing Disney dreams of Christmas there. So being selfish, I don't really want to talk about it too much. Now, I know the original or the first Disney dreams of Christmas in 2013 is slightly different than the one that they had in 2014. Um, oh. From, from most rec- from most tweets and most people's opinions I've read, they liked the, uh, the first one a lot more than they did the second one. The second one was mainly just completely frozen, and then a few other little bits that were recycled from the, uh, the original one. Have you seen anything or heard much about Disney Dreams of Christmas, Simon? Um, well, I've, I've not been... Uh, to Disneyland Paris for Christmas since I was really, really young. Uh, so there was definitely no Disney Dreams back then. Uh, but I did take the time uh, to watch a Disney Dreams of Christmas. I don't know which one it would have been. I didn't realise there was multiple of them. Um, I'm still coming to terms with the fact that there's now going to be three different equivalent versions of the normal Disney Dreams. So I can't keep up with all of this. This is too <laughs> difficult. Um, I don't know whether it's just because it's May when we're recording this and I'm not really in the Christmas spirit but I, I personally didn't feel that it had that same I didn't have the story didn't have the pace or the flow uh, the music wasn't as powerful I don't know I didn't get on with it to be perfectly honest it was it was good uh, but I don't know I mean the the story is, is centred around we don't have Peter Pan anymore we've got Olaf who's obviously a very lovable character from Frozen um he basically introduces a sort of a Christmas extravaganza and instead of having a sort of proper story that we go through, we go through it like it is sort of a, it's, I, I suppose it feels a bit like a cabaret show. There's just loads of different little acts from a lot of different, uh, maybe Pixar films or Disney films, what have you. But I, I don't know, personally, I just didn't feel like there was quite enough of a, any story or anything that was sort of taking me along with it. Mind you... You get to the end and, of course, you get the uh, the classic, you know, let it go and whatever, and it does build into a very good crescendo, actually. So the ending's quite good. Um, and, of course, let it go, you know. It's a, it's a powerful song. You can't help but sing along. I'm not going to right now. <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, it's, it is very good. Overall, though, I don't know. I, as I said earlier, actually, uh, to talk about my own points a little bit, Disney Dreams is one of those things that you have to see personally. Uh, to really comment on, so maybe maybe I shouldn't comment on this one, but I don't know, it didn't do it for me. I think we'll leave it to one side for now. We could always come back to it, because I'm sure once we've been through all the attractions, including Armageddon, we'll have to revisit some of them and explain the changes and what's happened. So we'll, we'll come back to uh, the Christmas version of Disney Dreams in a future episode. Um, we've been mentioning that scenes have been taken out. We've got We've went from Mary Poppins and The Jungle Book, we then um, got them replaced with the Lion King and the Brave scene. As we said, probably in about five minutes' time, as we're recording this, there's going to be an, a third version of Disney Dreams. Um, currently, it's Frozen Summer Fun, and that launches on Monday. So the rumor June 1st, is, 2015. Sorry, yeah, June the 1st. Um, it's currently the 31st. No, it's like the 30th today. Get it right. It's, the it's nearly the day. 31st, in fairness, though. Yeah. We're not far off. No, it probably will be by the time we've finished. We've still got loads to do. Um, so, yeah, Frozen Summer Fun is taking out the Brave scene, possibly the Lion King. Nothing's been mentioned with the Lion King yet, so it could be that they're going to add as, more to it. 
as we said earlier, though, those two scenes are sort of, you know, they are connected by, uh, you know, breaks either side. So if you're going to change in theory, you'd you'd have to take both out. But I mean, you know, if they're going to do a proper job of it, then there's no reason why they uh, they'd need to actually just not resync a new transition properly. That's true. Um, if, if, if anything, the only one I would replace would be Brave, and we've said that before, it doesn't really think with the story. The Lion King, because of the effect they use on the water and just how catchy and like, famous the songs are, I would keep them in there for that reason. Now, I've heard no rumours that Lion King is being removed. Uh, it has only been Brave that's been mentioned. Um, I'm not really sure about the scenes that are replacing it either. It's definitely going to be something to do with Frozen, so it's probably going to be Let It Go. Um, the rumour is ha- you have to imagine it's going to be let it go but well, to be definitely. perfectly honest I can't I don't think that it's such a powerful song it doesn't feel like it would really fit there it feels like it would have to go at the end and that would, it's such a sort yeah. of big powerful everybody sing along sort of song it's a it's a finale song not something you can throw in and the story wouldn't really work would it if it was at the end it would kind of ruin the whole the kind of story unless it was a separate scene but then it wouldn't really work as Disney Dreams um, I can imagine though we'll place it in the middle and somehow work it in there. Um, they'll probably have a couple of uh, songs of Olaf singing about summertime. Or, um, cause I, I, I can't see how they'll sing the uh, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Even though Frozen's not supposed to be a Christmas film. Um, and it is just something that's turned for like Frozen. I'm not going into the film into too much detail. But I don't know how Build a Snowman would work in Disney Dreams in the middle of May or summer in June. That's that's very true, but then again, he is a snowman who likes warm hugs, so... Keep him away from the fire and the flames, that's all I say. Ooh, that's true. That could be a Disney disaster. And again, we'll probably go back and mention this in more detail on the website, on Twitter, so if you want to find out more information about the new scenes that are going to be coming up tonight, um, then, or whenever, when you're listening to this, then just get in touch with us or follow us on Twitter at the usual address. What about the future then, apart from the scenes? Are, is there any other scenes you would like to put in it if you were in control of Disney Dreams? What else would you include? Oh, that's a really good question. I think you're going to need to come back to me on that one. Andrew, I'm going to throw the question back to you for now while I try and think of an answer. <laughs> now, I, um, I've just thought of that one at the spur of the moment, so I haven't thought of anything in particular. But um, obviously, if Frozen's going to be in there for now anywhere, then I don't see why they can't put um, anything from Big Hero 6 in there. Such a popular film after after Frozen. Um, so maybe there could be some scenes in there. Even if it's not music, they could maybe put a little bit of action in there from Big Hero 6. Um, thinking back to other Pixar, because I don't really... I don't have many Pixar uh, films in Disney Dreams. I'm just trying to say it slowly in case I can think of one that is from Pixar. I know we've got Ratatouille in there a little bit. Ratatouille uh, and Brave, Brave is really... But then really Brave's been taken out. So maybe they could go... I know they've got Toy, t- Toy Story has some... Little bits in there. Has, has some musical bits. So maybe something like uh, You've Got a Friend in Me would be quite a nice one, sort of early on. And again, they've, they've got the Toy Story elements in the Christmas version. So the would, Christmas one, yes, they, they do pop up. Would they mix and match that in there? But um, to be honest, I think anything would work. Anything with a powerful song. Now, I know that yeah. currently, is it California that's just released it? I can't remember now. This is rubbish. My research should have been better. They've just released it is, a brand yeah, new California. show. Um, and it's based on 60th. 60th. Yeah, it's clips oh, of... Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's 60th. There's clips of all sorts right from the day one. So there's like Snow White, got Walt Disney on there. 
So I don't know if something. Uh, it's had a bit. It's had hit mixed reviews. Now Disney Dreams worse because it's like the now. Obviously, there's old clips in there, but it's all modern. Now I don't know. Would would putting in a bit of Snow White, some of the original Steamboat Willie, would it just kind of mix it up too much? It wouldn't really follow a story, would it? But I'm just trying to think. Could any of these iconic? No, I, d- I don't know be because uh, I mean our story is that. Uh... Peter Pan's shadow spills out all the Disney magic dust, so I, I don't see why an old Disney classic can't be included in magic dust. You know, it's it's everything. You know, it's like an animagique where they just open up the vault, everything comes out. So I think, to be honest, I think it's it's a class idea for a story because it's anything goes. So what would you put in there then? See, now that you've mentioned Steamboat Willie, and you've reminded me of the classics. I, I, I sort of feel like they would be nice to put in, but then equally I've spent time earlier saying that, oh, God, these slow bits get in the way. I'm not sure where I stand on that one. We'll uh, put it out there for our followers. If anybody wants to tweet us in with what scenes they would like to include, you can uh, just tweet us at MagicalDLP on Twitter. Uh, another mention here for Light Ears. Do you think that these are going to be phased out any time, or do you think we're just going to keep them on sale and hope that someday somebody will buy one no I think they're just going to keep hoping for the best really aren't they um, it's, a, it's a nice idea if it if it worked and people bought them it'd be great I mean I, I don't know how much uh, each one costs was it to around produce. 30 euros well sorry produce. I think we're going to buy it between 20 and 30 euros I, th- I think so which is quite it's quite dear really um you know, it's, it's not extortion, but considering, really, they're only there for one show, and as you say, uh, they don't really improve your viewing experience, personally. So, I, I, I think they'd need to lower the price quite a lot. But, you know, you've got to keep them, because it's such a good idea if it did actually work. Would one way to get it to work, provide, obviously this would only work for people staying on site, and I don't want to advocate putting the prices up. But if, for example, the prices... Because the prices do go up every year. And if they were put up by €20 Euros per person, you probably wouldn't really notice anywhere. But what if, if the light ears were hanging up inside your rooms? Would you want to take them into the park with you? I don't know. Or if there was like just a selection of them, like a Ratatouille when you've got the glasses. But I don't want to spoil that for you, Simon, so I won't talk about it too much. But if there was a selection <laughs> of um, ears just standing there, and you could show your ticket and get them if you're there at a certain time, get them for free and just hand them back in. Would that work? I don't know how we'd be able to manage that, but cause it's just just getting them out there. I think people are reluctant to pay for them. Not really advertised yeah. very well. So could they do more advertising? Could there be something projected on the front of the castle, maybe saying like an hour before once it's all closed off, buy the light ears to join in with the show? Or, they don't really. Apart from the cart driving around, it doesn't seem to be much about advertising people actually getting these and purchasing them. No, I think you're right there. I think they probably could do uh, a little bit more to advertise them or, you know, posters around Main Street. But to be honest, I think they have actually already done that. Um, I think part of the problem, again, is the price. But I wouldn't want them to put up the price of a hotel room so that we could have light ears at Disney Dreams. I wouldn't want it either, but it was just an idea. Just playing devil's advocate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, now, I don't want to jump the gun with Luke Breen's email because it does mention using Main Street uh, as part of the uh, projection mapping because uh, I know that's what they've done 
uh, in parks in America. Because what they've done is they've taken, again, we took all the best bits from the parks around the world to make Disney Dreams. And now they're taking that technology from Disney Dreams and they're enhancing it even further. So they've got the castle involved. They've also got the main street. So do you think there's a possibility of, do you even want the possibility of the whole of Main Street being included? Oh, I, th- I think it's it's definitely a possibility. I don't see Disney Dreams going anywhere. Um Certainly, in the next like five, maybe even ten years. Currently, I think, officially... I think this is a spectacular on sort of the scale of Fantasmic. Yeah. You know, so I, I really don't think it's going to go anywhere. Officially, um, it's still here until September 2016, according to the website. And I would imagine it's it's going to stay a lot longer than that. In 2017, we have the 25th anniversary of the resort. Um, I would imagine it will get a bit of a boost then and to be honest i think if they're going to do anything they take that idea back from i think it's california where they do it they're going to take that idea back uh and then project onto main street yeah definitely i think that's that's the obvious evolution it's the obvious way to go now i've, I've seen i've not seen any video footage of that to see what it's like um, i can only imagine you've got the same things like characters running up and down the streets and different buildings changing you could maybe also change all of the buildings into one big vehicle, for example, or one big building. Um, that you could change the signs on the buildings. I don't know how it works, but it sounds amazing what they can do. It does sound fantastic. Um, I mean, of course, then you get the question of, well, where's the focus? Are you supposed to be stood in Main Street looking at the Main Street buildings, or are you supposed to be stood at Main Street looking at the castle, and they're just sort of... Uh, sort of an added ambiance really where you know they'll change colour and you know maybe they'll shake and move a bit and transform uh, along with the castle I don't know it would I don't make know how it... it would work but to be honest as I said I really think that that is the obvious evolution for them to follow and I think if they're going to do anything for the 25th anniversary which I would imagine they will do uh, that's that is probably the obvious thing to do um, um, now that Walt Disney Company own basically 70 odd percent of Euro Disney or Disneyland Paris I'm sure that they would probably want to make sure that this is the best 25th anniversary ever Uh, because obviously they've got more even though they had their name was riding on it beforehand they now own the major shares in the park so I can imagine they're going to put all their effort in to make it even better even though they were involved with Disney Dreams anyway I just think that they've probably got right we'll spend a bit more cash on this project to make it even better um what about re um, rewatchability? If they include Main Street as part of the projection mapping, as part of the whole of Disney Dreams, and you're saying that you you can't focus on more than one thing. If I was there for three nights, I would. If and you'd, you'd always, I normally go to every viewing of Dreams that there is possible. So maybe having the different alternatives, maybe watching it from Main Street and seeing the the, the castle in the background but having the main street buildings in the foreground, that'll have one aspect. You could then change it to another um, area the night next, like the next night. So it, could, it would mean that they could maybe draw more people in and they could get more viewings out of it, possibly. Well, I think so. I mean, definitely the, the more elements that you add to something, uh, the more you've got going for it, really. Uh, so there's, there's more things to look at. Why, why not? The Christmas light switch on, or the Christmas tree switch on, a couple of years ago. It wasn't the one just gone, it was 2013 again. I'm sure that had something similar, where there was a show on the castle, and then there was a show, like, at the same time, a different part was happening on the actual um, tree itself. 
So it has been done before, and I think it worked really well, and people were really pleased with that. Um, but that's for another time. We're not talking about Christmas. Moving on, we're going to go to listener opinions now. And as ever, um, our friend Luke at NIDLP Geek has sent us in just over, well, it's a page and a half worth of information here via email. Sadly, no Cafe Fantasia this time. Um, he's actually busy at the moment at the press weekend in Disneyland Paris. Um, and he's probably missed my... For Frozen Summer Fun, we should probably add. Yeah, hashtag Frozen Summer Fun. <laughs> uh, him and Steve from, Magic, uh, from Dedicated to DLP are there. And we'll probably um, be talking about that on Twitter over the next few days. But yeah, going on to what Luke says, he goes on and says, While many DLP fans may look at the Main Street Electrical Parade as the pinnacle of nighttime entertainment, I, he'll always look at the newer, the more technical masterpiece that is Disney Dreams as the flagship of Disneyland Paris evening shows. He says, Having experienced the fireworks and video mapping show on several occasions since its debut for the resort's 20th anniversary, it's easy to see why Dreams has received so many awards and is regarded by so many as a favourite by hardcore fans and first-time visitors alike. He then goes on to say that he's sure that me and you, Simon, have already gone into great detail how the video mapping technology has pushed the video, so he pushed the show into being so much more than a fireworks display, but I also have to give major credit to the creativity this technology has inspired. Whether it be the look of awe you get to see the castle change shape and colour right before your eyes during the genie's song, or the menacing eyes staring back at you during friends from the other side, Imagineers have done themselves proud, taking the gorgeous castle as a canvas to create an unforgettable experience that truly is the stuff of dreams. Indeed, my friend made an excellent observation on how characters now interact with surroundings familiar and shared with the crowd, an example being the hunchback scene with Quasimodo swinging from turret to turret, has made the entire experience so much more magical, real and immersive. That's why I like that as one of my favourite scenes. His favourite scene from the show has to be the see, the see the Light scene from Rapunzel and Flynn. Nothing quite conveys the romance and magic like seeing those lanterns light up the castle with one of the best songs Disney has created in the last 10 years. The montage of the Disney couple dancing makes the scene, however, and never fails to make me a little emotional. There we are. We've got that nice hearty bit there, as we said. Aww. Looking towards the future for Disney Dreams, the short term will see the mega popular Let It Go return once again for the Frozen Summer Fun. While he's disappointed to hear it will be reportedly um, replacing the Brave scene, which you mentioned already, he understands the fact uh, and in fact welcomes the return of Elsa and hopes this will see her a permanent appearance. Now that's something we haven't really mentioned. Is this going to be just for the Frozen Summer Fun or is it going to be that's it, that's the new version of Dreams? Who knows? Speaking of scenes, he must admit he feels the Jungle Book scene is very sorely missed in the current version. Although this may be the bias in me or him because of his love for I Wanna Be Like You. As for the long term future, this week saw the debut of the spectacular Disneyland Forever in Anaheim, which incorporates all we know and love from Disney Dreams and doubles it by expanding into the entirety of Main Street. This I feel is the next step for Disney Dreams and something the Imagineers simply must be considering for the 20th or 25th sorry, anniversary with many fans from across the globe arguing Paris not only has the most beautiful castle, but also the most beautiful Main Street. It's no secret that Dreams 2.0 of a fully mapped Main Street would really show Disneyland Paris off in all its glory, much like Disneyland Resort are doing right now for the 60th. At some point, we're going to get to a point where you'll be anywhere in the park, and then everywhere will be video mapped. 
and then they'll just be able to have a show no matter where you are at 10 o'clock or something show happens everywhere you could be in a queue for a ride and then thunder meta suddenly starts changing color and flying all over the place space mountain uh you know the castle uh, sort of fortress thing of uh parts of the caribbean i don't know the temple at indiana jones all of it projection mapped and then suddenly it just comes alive the whole place with some sort of musical extravaganza show and then fireworks in the center over the castle that's going to have to happen at some point if we're going to stretch down to main street let's do the whole <laughs> do park. the whole park why not and one of my notes from before was we, we've had projection onto the tower of terror before for the opening night why not have a show in Walt Disney Studios? Now, I'm, I had a short article a couple of days ago, which was about Walt Disney Studios. Um, didn't really mention about any of them, like the shows or any entertainment, that kind of thing. But it's lacking something over there. Now, Disney Dreams is the main attraction. No matter what anyone says, Disney Dreams is the main attraction for most people that go to Disneyland Paris or Disneyland Park. So why not have something that will keep people at the Walt Disney Studios? Well, yeah, I mean, I think what we ought to do at some point is just do a podcast uh, on Walt Disney Studios itself, not the attractions or anything, just just the, the place, because it, you're right, it needs something. Um, I've heard people sort of rumour around that maybe it would get a sort of a, a phantasmic that would be a, a nighttime show specifically for that park. Um, you know, it, it could happen. I don't know. Now, because most, obviously, some people do visit the park only for one night. But most people will probably be there for like a, a week, a long weekend break or two to three nights. Yeah. So is there nothing stopping them? Now, this could be a bit controversial. Is there nothing saying um, Disney Dreams is going to be every other night and then we put the money and some of the experience into the other park, Walt Disney Studios, and then that kind of... Because part of me would say, well, you're not going to get any guests staying in Walt Disney Studios if you add an extra nighttime show. But if you alternate... So that the guests have, a, if they want to see a nighttime show, they will all just end up moving over to Walt Disney Studios, and that will make that a more of a full day park or a nighttime park. I know it's a, a for another podcast, but what do you feel to that? Well, uh, wherever you are in the world, the Disneyland Park, the Magic Kingdom, whatever you want to call it, that's always been the central one. Um, you know, in Florida, they've got if you include the water parks, they've got six theme parks there. Um, and yet still the Magic Kingdom is the most important one. No matter what you do uh, in the studio's park, it's always going to be the, you know, sort of lesser sibling to the main park. But, you know, I, I do really think that they should they should do something there. And I, I like the fact that sort of starting last year with Ratatouille, we started seeing the park hours extend into sort of nine o'clock. You know, it, it became a park that did go into the nighttime a little bit. Um, and I hope, that we continue to see that and I would like definitely uh, along with a test track I would like to see a sort of phantasmic style show because I mean it's you know it's supposed to be a park that is all about the movie industry and shows so it could definitely do with something like that I mean actually you you said earlier about things like uh, Steamboat Willie should they make an appearance in Disney Dreams well actually why don't they make an appearance in the Studios Park exactly. because that's that's what the Studios Park is all about you could really bring out that uh, Disney Heritage, maybe some Pixar as well. Yeah, that that would be a fantastic idea. Great answer. Do you want to go on to John Joe's email? 
Yep, so uh, this is the At Salon Mickey blog. Uh, I think it's a great show, a fantastic way to end your day in the park. I like the way that it's able to be changed for the seasons and modified due to that day's weather conditions. I'm looking forward to seeing how the show will be uh, changed for the upcoming frozen summer season. I completely agree with that. I'm looking forward to seeing how it's changed as well. Uh, he says, uh, my only problem with dreams is that during the summer, it's not on until 11pm, which is quite late if you're visiting with children, and it doesn't seem to be promoted well within the resort. Now, I, I said earlier about when I uh, visited with my family, and we were sort of unsure about what Disney Dreams actually was. Certainly, I felt that definitely this was in 2013. I felt that they were pushing it quite a lot. I felt that everywhere you looked when you were going through sort of uh, Fantasia Gardens and then under the... Disneyland Hotel and through Main Street. I felt like it was sort of everywhere. Disney Dreams, Disney Dreams. Um, but I suppose it never actually said what it is. So, I don't know, maybe promotion is, is something that they could look at. Maybe. Don't you... Well, I do anyway. I, I associate, even before I went to Disneyland Paris, um, and if you think about any Disney park in the world, you know, even if you're not a theme park or Disney fan, you know that there's a big nighttime fireworks spectacular. I think so. I mean, I, I don't know because I've always I've always been in the world of that sort of thing. So I don't know whether it is general knowledge. Maybe not. Maybe maybe it is. But maybe I've deep down. I, I, I have always loved theme parks and I've always loved Disney and I've always loved the films and the, the thought of going to all the theme parks. But I just feel that it's, it's more like general knowledge that a lot of people, even if they haven't been before or aren't really interested and know somebody who has been, and they've heard about the firework display. So maybe maybe it is just me, but I would like to think that most people, especially if they've booked to go to Disneyland Paris, they at least know that there's going to be some kind of parade or nighttime spectacular as well. So I think they're being naive and stupid if they don't know. <laughs> no offence to anybody. Um, K. George Bailey at Heel KG. Uh, via email has sent us a nice little not a long one just a little one it's a show you have to do at least once on your visit to DLP it is a visual masterpiece and he loves how it's in English and in French Uh, he would take the brave song out uh, for gonna take you there going down the bayou from Princess and the Frog Um, that's a really good song actually I really uh, that would work really well and he says it would fit perfectly into the Disney Dreams medley now would would that mean we have to take the other song out from Princess and the Frog? Could we have two different songs in different sections? Who knows? Some would say that Princess and the Frog is a underrated Disney animated film. Uh, I do. It's one of my favourites actually up there on the list, so I would love to see it in there. Um, he's sure that everybody has a song suggestion they'd like to see uh, for Disney Dreams 2. And don't forget, you can tweet us your suggestion uh, if you don't agree with anything we've said. Yeah, that's interesting because me and you were, uh, when we first asked the question, we sat here going, ah, I don't really know what I choose. But there we are. That's a good suggestion right there. We've been outshone by our listeners once again, Andrew. I haven't been outshone because I agree with that one. That's what I would have thought about if I had more time. <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> Whatever I say. Um, we're getting close to the end now. You'll be pleased to hear. Uh, we're going to go to Twitter a couple of days ago. And actually, the 21st of May, I paused the question, hagtag. Hashtag, what's a hashtag? Hashtag Disney Dreams, what is your favourite scene and why? Um, KG, or Heel KG, tweeted, it's a tie between the Shadow Man's friend on the other side, as he thinks he's a great villain, and it's a tie between that and the Tangled scene, because of the uh, lanterns there. Um, 
Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. DRP Wonders said the last one, Come de Dream a Dream, which is the song that uh, is sang right at the end. In fact, we, we haven't even mentioned it yet. Um, it's the last song before, well, while you're walking out of uh, Main Street. Yeah, so it's it's not really part of the show, I wouldn't say personally. It's It happens after the show. Um, but, I mean, it is, it is a perfect little finisher and... Uh, Obviously, it's, it fits with the whole dream theme, and uh, it's it's you'll you'll be heading back to a hotel room probably. So it's it, it gives you that nice little buzz that you know it's it's the end of the day now, and you've had a you've had a fantastic spectacular, and now you are going to go back and dream a dream. It is whenever I hear it, it does remind you of Disney dreams. So it is linked perfectly well with Disney dreams. Um, Cara, um, she went to say yes to this, and she was replying to the LRP wonders. She also likes the lantern bit and be our guest. Arthur Claus, you can fly. Well, yeah, and that's a, that's a nice sort of upbeat, upbeat uh, section, isn't it? You know, it uh, sort of gets you going at the end. Uh, that's that. I mean, that's a very small section, actually. It is, and but it's it's there nonetheless. It's there. That's your favourite scene. Um, Heather Clement at yesterday's lady. She likes friends like me. Holds even more importance to me now that Robin Williams has passed. Uh, yeah. She also likes be our guest as well. I can imagine a lot of people will change their favourite scenes due to things like Robin Williams uh, passing away. Well, um, it does it does change something, doesn't it? Because you you know you hear his voice and how powerful it is and how fantastic he was as the genie, and you think, damn, we've lost somebody cool. Yeah, disabled in DLP. Um, she goes on to say the Tangled scene is her favourite, so there's quite a lot of Tangled scene coming out of us. A lot of me. Tangled love going on. Um, makes her cry every time. And then uh, Pixie Dustina, or Tina, she likes the Hunchback of Notre Dame. She agrees with me. I just love Quasimodo's optimism. Um, then says something in French, which I'm not even going to pronounce. Um, hashtag life lessons. Now uh, I, I don't I I can't even translate that. Something about a day and a and a un tower, a castle. I don't know. I did get a C in GCSE French, but I'm not in the attempt to read it. Um, <laughs> Disney Dreams or hashtag Disney Dreams. What is your least favourite scene and why? Cara, it's Brave or Princess and the Frog. No, I like Princess that's and the Frog. Interesting. I didn't think. Princess and the Frog would come up. I think that's a fantastic one. Actually, it's popping up here a lot, isn't it? It is, Quite yeah. Um, Alex, Miss Mint Mav, uh, Princess and the Frog. Can't tell you why. She just doesn't love it. Okay, I, then. <laughs> I, I suppose the thing is, it's quite a... I mean, it's quite a dark scene, really, isn't it? You, I mean, I'm really into steampunk stuff. That's why I love uh, uh, Discoveryland so much. But I suppose, actually, you know, it's... You know, it's quite gritty almost yeah. for, for Disney dreams and obviously not every single guest has watched every single Disney film now I actually when I saw this had absolutely no idea what it was from I hadn't seen Princess that, that, I had no idea but I still loved it though yeah some people are like for me with the Brave scene I was put off by the Brave scene because I'd never seen Brave now in, like I said before individually I liked the scene on its own but as the story it didn't make sense I had no idea what was going on so maybe it's the same thing here. Maybe, Alex, if you want to get back to us, Miss Mint Mav, um, try and think about why you don't like it. Is it because you've never watched Princess and the Frog? Or is it too scary for you? Or is it just... I don't know. Let us know. Uh, Rachel Paisley at rpaisley79. She uh, doesn't like Brave because it breaks the flow of the show, like we've said before. Uh, DLRP Wonders, Dr. Facilier from um, Princess and the Frog. 
She doesn't like it. Um, she likes the villain's part, but the whole eyes and fire thing just doesn't get to me. So, yeah, yeah, like... yeah, I mean, it is, it's a different tone, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely darker. I quite like that, though. I like that, you know, we get to the villain's bit at the end and we've got something with a with a bit of sort of creepy mysteriousness to it. But like, yeah. like, like we said before, each Disney film has a like, nice bit, a lovey-dovey bit, an evil bit. So it's kind of going through a traditional... Disney well, I mean, if if you want to go all the way back to the original Grimm Brothers fairy tales, where most Disney stories actually seem to come from, then they were really weird. Okay. They were creepy as anything. Yeah, so it's, I definitely you won't know, be reading those to my son. Yeah, if, you know, bit of heritage, you could argue. Uh, at DLP Geek, he uh, his his email, well, his tweet was email coming in, and then a couple of minutes later, he then tweeted us back saying, "Just realised I never mentioned the least favourite part in my post." Um, the genie for him is his least favourite scene. He said he drags on for too long, especially the flying carpet part. I suppose I agree with that. The song is fine. Sort of. I just I love Robin Williams. I do. I've, and I, I, as as much as I asked you earlier uh, when we were talking about this this uh, magic carpet scene, whether you thought the humour bit worked or not, I do. I I, I like it. Um, and I mean, we we talk about the flow. It has to you know it has to meander a bit. You know, it can't be all fast-paced, you have to have these sort of slightly slower transitions, and I think with Robin Williams there as well, I, I think that's still nice and powerful. I think it's really good. Discovery Arcade. Uh, I don't have a least favourite scene. That's a, that's a cop-out. Uh, for me, the transitions are really good, and they balance the scenes pretty well. Now, again, some people don't agree with that. So, we've got the um, the Jungle Book and the Brave... No, dear me. The Mary Poppins and the Jungle Book. People always said that they didn't really balance or went through very well. But again, everyone's got their own opinion, so we're not saying you're wrong, Discovery Arcade. Uh, thanks for your opinion on there. And DLP Discoveries uh, at shared underscore DLP Lion King uh, because it's purely projected, apparently. Now, I've never noticed anything purely projected, so if you want to get in touch with us and let us know in a bit more detail, can you explain it? Yeah, do you, do you mean in terms of sort of actually the, the sort of quality, the fidelity of the projection, or do you mean in terms of, say, uh, it's just a lot of patterns going on in the castle, yeah, it's just a lot of animals coming in, rather than, as we said earlier, it's not really utilising the castle as a sort of 3D object to project so, uh, onto and to manipulate. So apart from the waterfall and the water scene right at the end of that section... If you do, if you do suggest that the waterfall scene was poorly projected, I mean, I would have to hunt you down <laughs> and make amends because I love that scene. As we've already found out, it is, it is amazing. In fact, once we've recorded this, I'm going to have to go back and watch it again because uh, I like it that much. <laughs> um, iTunes reviews. We've actually, since we had done our last podcast, we've actually done quite well. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven new reviews on iTunes. Yeah. And I'm going to let you go with the first one. We'll start off with the UK. Okay, um, so this, this is a five-star review. By far the best DLP podcast uh, from Disney fan Senga. I listen to a lot of Disney podcasts, and I think the format of this one is the best and the most interesting. Keep it up. Absolute pleasure. That's the plan. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, five-star from Mark again. I don't know if he's already messaged us, but his name's Mark again. Uh, enjoyable and insightful. Just discovered this podcast when planning for the first upcoming trip to Disneyland Paris. The information and opinions of the hosts is well presented and thoughtful. The rapport between the hosts is great. Who says I like Simon? No, um, I, I, where did this come from? <laughs> we just do this because we like Disneyland Paris. We don't like each other. Oh, um, no. I particularly, Marriage of convenience. 
I particularly like the episode by episode focus on a particular aspect of DLP at the time. Um, just imagine if we didn't focus on one thing at a time. In fairness, me and you do digress quite a lot. We do, but just imagine what it would be like if we didn't have a specific focus. We'd be all over the place. Um, he, this gives time for real depth and insight. The podcast just helps build the anticipation for our trip. Great work. Please keep it going. Builds the anticipation for our upcoming trips as well. Five star, <laughs> true Disney Paris fans from President Kendall. I really hope you are a president of somewhere as well. That would make me so happy if oh, we had a president. Just imagine if that was true. These guys do an amazing job of analysing all the upcoming angles and advancements uh, that could be coming to our beloved attractions. Uh, the podcast could be slightly more regular. Yes, I'm sorry, we know, uh, as it's hard to know when they post a new episode. Either way, this is a podcast I've listened to for a while now and always delivers great coverage of Disneyland Paris. Yeah. Well, we, we sort of try once a month, don't we? It, it sometimes happens. Yeah, it's, it's, it is basically being once a month at the moment. Um, I'm going to hold my hand up now. You can't see me doing it, and I am doing it. I'm going to do a little brownie promise that we're going to try our best to do it on a more regular basis. Now, obviously, because I'm working at school, um, the last few weeks or the last few months have been really, really intense because of coursework and stuff like that. Um, but because the summer holidays are coming up, I'm not saying that teachers don't do anything in the summer holidays because I will be working hard, but I'm hoping <laughs> that we can definitely do at least two, if not even, three podcasts, depending on what me and Simon have planned over the summer. Uh, if we can bash out a few over summer, then that'll make up for the slow pace that we've had over the last few months. But yeah, it's definitely my uh, intentions, if we can work something out or put a plan together, um, it just needs to fit around everyone's lifestyle, really. But yeah, we'll, we'll give can, it a shot. We'll give just it a shot. Just for you, Mr. President. Just for you, President. Yes, President, sir. This, I was going to say the last one, but it's not. Another five-star review. Didact, didact, I can't say. Didactic Disneyland Paris podcast by Halifax DJ. Um, it's great to have another podcast centered around Disneyland Paris to add to my playlist, especially one of this high caliber. That's quite good, actually, seeing as though Martin appeared on our arrivals, dedicated to DLP podcast while Steve was away. Um, so it's quite nice to have some love from the other side. Uh, he loves how the presenters, Andrew and Simon, take one particular aspect or attraction from the parks and concentrate their discussions on it, showing that they have thoroughly researched beforehand. <laughs> uh, Keep yes. up the good work. Mm. And the research. Yes, lots of research. No, I do do a lot of research, but it's normally... Like the day after I've done the last, so like we've recorded this podcast today. I can guarantee tomorrow I'll do all the research for the next one, and I'll forget most of it before the month's up, and then I'll have to read through all my notes again and do it all again. But yeah, I, I do, I do research. Oh, the best bit about doing the research though is going on YouTube, watching like the POVs or the shows like this, and just remit, you know, bringing back all the memories that you have of all these different attractions yeah. and rides that you've been on. Um, using a good a good tip for anybody who wants to do some research in Disneyland Paris. Um, use TweetDeck. If you download TweetDeck, I don't know if you've got it, Simon, but if you use that, you can do set up different columns for different hashtag searches and all sorts of different things. And I normally um, set up a column or set up a search for a certain hashtag. So over the last few uh, weeks, I've been just keeping a tab on everything Disney Dreams. So if anything pops up, I'll have a record of it on the on the column there, as well as seeing all the general um, feeds from Disneyland uh, Paris fans. But I definitely recommend using TweetDeck. Um, if you were to download that, set up a little thing. I'm not even going to tell you what the spoiler is for our next podcast yet. But if you were set, if you were to set one up um, for that, for our next topic, then it would definitely help you in your research. 
And the next review we've got is another five star one. Thank you very much. DLP in great deal detail uh, from I Think iMac. Really good to hear some in depth information and the stories behind the magic. Short but sweet. Uh, five star. Wish I'd found it sooner. Paisley 79. It must mean we need to do more advertising. Um, what a fantastic. <laughs> A pan- fantastic! What a fantastic podcast! Discovered it after returning from my recent trip, and I'm kicking myself for not finding it sooner. Loving the focus on one subject and hearing stuff about DLP that I never knew before. Keep up the good work, guys! And finally, we even have a review from Canada, which shows that Andrew, we are clearly an international organisation now. <laughs> um, five star awesomeness, which I think is just the the best sort of short review title you could give their name's better their name's Shark Boy Toronto which also sounds fantastic Um, thanks guys I totally love your podcast the format of one attraction per episode is fresh doesn't wander all over the place like others tend to do sometimes although to be honest Andrew I I think me and you do tend to wander all over the place Uh, he says he's planning his very first visit to Disneyland Paris in September uh, and we're getting him very excited for it so he wants us to keep up the great work Oh. <laughs> that's the end of the iTunes I don't know if there's anything else we want to discuss while we're here have you got any more notes you want to go through that you haven't mentioned yet Ah, actually I did write down earlier water whip other than that I've just drawn a picture of the Sleeping Beauty castle with some fireworks and then <laughs> Thunder Mesa in the distance so you doodle while you're recording the podcast a little bit but yes I've written down water whip and we said we'd come back to it Yeah. Um, and I forgot no I was going to mention that with the VIP area um, it was going to be when I said about the fire and the flames burning the VIP's eyebrows off. Um, it was going to be involved in that, so I can just imagine the water whip whipping out and taking half the front row of VIP guests out with it. <laughs> I would like to see that quite a lot. Now, I, I'm up for this. What you could do is you just you soak them and then you just blast the fire at them and then warm them back up again. Yeah, then you can say, well, we have been prepared for it. We wet, we soaked you, but we've dried you off, so no one can sue us now. All good. It's really, it's a public service. Yeah, we're doing you a public service. We're giving you a clean because you just you spend all your money on a VIP area and, yeah, you haven't got time for a shower. I yeah. don't know, mind I, you, mind you, you've got to make sure that when you do that, you don't soak or burn the light ears because that makes it a shame for everyone else. That's true. Because no one else has show. the light ears. Yeah. You'll spoil their, sh- their show as well. <laughs> um, are you going to um, scan your image in and put it on Twitter? My image, you, sorry? You, you, you doodle? You've mentioned oh, no, it now. probably not. It's, you, well, I'm afraid it's you've mentioned really it, so not that good. Don't be it, because people are going to ask you for this now. Okay, I will, I'll pop it on Twitter later or, on. Or you're going to have to do another one and pretend that it's that one that you've just done. No, well, I mean, it's not... I'm, I'm not very good at art. I have, I have an AS level in product design, but I'm genuinely useless at drawing. Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to uh, show us the uh, results of your doodling now, anyway. <laughs> fine, fine. That's good. <laughs> uh, we'll give it a few days, and then we'll uh, we'll put it on there for all our lovely guests, and they can uh, we want to get them interacting with us. So on our Facebook page, on our Twitter page, just uh, give us a rating out of five. You, you give us five stars for the podcast. What, what about Simon Doodle? Give us a five star rating. Five star five. for my art. <laughs> um, let's talk about what's happening next time. Probably in a month's time. Hopefully, no more maybe a little bit less the focus of the next episode of the magical DLP podcast is going to be all things Twilight Zone Tower of Terror um, 
Let us know your thoughts and feelings about the infamous Hollywood Tower Hotel. Email us at podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk or message us on Facebook, Twitter or our website magicaldlp.co.uk. If you feel that you like what we're doing, uh, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and get in touch. This podcast is nothing without you. Anything else to add, Simon? Well, uh, just a pre-warning. I love Tower of Terror. It's a great ride. It's probably my second favourite attraction at the resort. Um, But more than that, I love its Florida counterpart, which is bigger and better and has an extra scene in it. Uh, so I will be going off on a rant about why ours should have that extra scene in it That's and why good. the one in Florida is so much better. But yet I still love the one that we have in Paris. I'm looking so forward to that because I've never... Be, be braced for that. I've never actually set foot in the American parks before, so that would be good for me. Yep, so thanks for joining us for episode 7 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.